This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, One Town's Terror, 9-11, Iraq, and Burlington, Vermont, our guest today, Robert Ivker, shows that city and state have sent more citizen soldiers into active duty in Iraq and Afghanistan than most other states in the country. At the same time, Burlington has been at the forefront of a wide range of anti-war movements and boasts the country's only socialist member of Congress. Previously a credentialed journalist at the United Nations, Ifker has published dozens of articles in political newspapers and magazines, both nationally and internationally. Robert Ifker, welcome to Weekly Signals. Well, I'm happy to be here with you. How are you doing today? Uh, fine, thank you. Very good. And are you in uh, New Jersey? Is that where we're reaching uh, you? Right now I'm in New Jersey, but I live in New York. Uh, how did you... Uh, you live in New York in the city? Yes, I do. Oh, very good. Now, how did you happen to uh, write a book about Burlington? What, what brought you into that? Well, I'll tell you... Um, like a lot of people, I follow events closely in the newspaper and, you know, these days on the Internet, but maybe more so than others. So maybe 10, 20 websites a day I'm reading, I'm learning. And I saw a story about uh, Burlington, Vermont. They had mentioned that the Bishop of Burlington, a um, very important position, there's about 50,000 Catholics in uh, Vermont. The state only has about 700,000 people. So this bishop, unfortunately, had a brother who was killed, uh, he was on the first plane that hit the towers on 9-11. And this brother was a very interesting guy. He was one of the writers for the TV shows Cheers and Wings, and he was one of the producers for Frasier, very accomplished in Hollywood. I didn't think much of it. Then, down the road, I read a story uh, about a young man named Mark Evnen. And Evnen was reported as being the first Jewish Marine to die in combat in Iraq. And it turns out that his family is also from Burlington, and a very prominent family. His grandfather has been the rabbi up there for you know over 40 years and was a chaplain in the uh, army. So I started doing some more reading and talking to people, and you know basically I, I just remember saying to myself, what the heck's going on up there? And I went up there once and then twice, and really what I found was a level of citizen participation on both sides of the issues, especially on both sides of the issue of the Iraq war. That is, to me, impressive and really uh, unusual in its intensity and its, and its uh, knowledge of the issues. These people really take the time to learn the issues and get involved. Well, what you're describing is a, a genuine level of patriotism on the part of these people. I think that's an excellent way to describe it. And, you know, I, I think patriotism is anyone who takes the time and effort to you know, get in the game. Doesn't matter which side right. you're on. But right. I mean, the, these people really—you go up there and there are constant um, protests or marches for the war, against the war. Um, you know, as you mentioned, per capita, one of the highest uh, rates of uh, enrollment in the National Guard in the country. So, I mean, these people are really, to me, uh, kind of an American treasure uh, in the sense that they get involved and they. For the most part, they do so in a respectful manner. Mm -hmm. And I, I was just reading, it was yesterday, they were talking about last month uh, at their 
the time of the town meetings in Vermont. Right. Which, which in California, uh, you couldn't even imagine something like that. I, you know, the town meetings of California, I don't, I don't think, you know, they have uh, CCNRs here. That's about a community association meetings as far as that goes. But uh, they had decided, I think 39 or 38 of the towns drafted a, uh, an impeachment uh, document against uh, George Bush. That's right. So, yeah. And, you know, when you fir- at first glance, you say to yourself, this is silly. These, some of these towns have 500 people, and they're going to vote to impeach the president. Mm-hmm. What good does that do? And I'll tell you, some people in Vermont say that, and they, don't like, they say it's a waste of time and money. But I'll tell you, it's the type of grassroots citizen involvement that excites people. Yeah. I, I, I can't tell you how many calls I've gotten from uh, radio stations and and newspapers, et cetera, around the country. And I'm certainly no expert on Vermont, but they want to know how they can get involved or did did this really happen? They feel, you know, people want to be heard. They want it, their voice and their views to be known to the power, the, the people in power in Washington. And certainly when you have half the towns in a state voting for impeachment, that will get your attention. Yeah, it is an expression of their opinion. Mm-hmm. And this, this is how they feel. Uh, and whether or not it has... Uh, nation national repercussions or not is i would imagine beside the point for them it is how they feel about an issue and they're willing to express it right so for example that's exactly right in in my book there's a chapter which uh i entitled don't mess with the librarian so there's a librarian up there she's been interviewed dozens of places around the country and around the world named trina maggie and she was actually recently on c-span because they had a big uh program about her but they they go by this belief you've heard, which is uh, think globally, act locally. And Trina is a uh, librarian at the University of Vermont, and she and her uh, fellow librarians were very concerned and somewhat insulted and offended by the Patriot Act. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, there's a Section 215, which really allows the FBI to come in and ask for records and documents and who checked out that book and which internet site did they get on and it really lowers the bar in terms of um, what they have to do to ask for that information and she didn't like that and it was really through their grassroots efforts that got their congressman who's now senator bernie sanders involved he was able to uh... join up with some republicans who are also concerned with uh, potential overreach of the government and that's how the uh... anti-patriot act movement um, has gotten started and continues to this day. I think it's important to point out that if I'm not mistaken, there are some very conservative Republicans. I believe Bob Barr was one of the people who were were outraged by. Uh, I'm I'm. Am I wrong about that? Do you know? No, you're you're correct. Yeah. And in fact, the uh, Republican that is most aligned with uh, Bernie Sanders is Congressman uh, Butch Otter from uh, Idaho. So I mean, once are, ag- once again, an expression of true patriotism, as far as I'm I'm yeah, concerned. I, I mean, yeah, there are so many ways to to do things right, with, you know, regardless of which side of the issue that you're on. But I tell you, um, one of the things that I admired about the people of Vermont, and it's really, I guess, it's kind of a whole New England thing, is that they have this live and let live mentality, where you do your thing and they do their, and someone else does theirs, and for example, you would pull up uh, on a street corner in Burlington, and I would see uh, a pickup truck with uh, National Rifle Association stickers next to one of those old 
hippie-style uh, Volkswagens. Mm-hmm. I thought that was sort of telling of what goes on. You know, people sort of doing their own things, living shoulder-to-shoulder with uh, folks who definitely don't see the world that they do, but for the most part, respectfully. But I have to tell you that even that is starting to change or be challenged. The, the, the level of uh, discussion is becoming a little more shrill, a little more angry, more so, I would say, on the anti-war side. We're speaking with Robert Ivker, and the book is One Man's One Town's Terror, 9-11 Iraq in Burlington, Vermont. I just want to follow up on that. Uh, how are they, they're getting shrilled. Is there, is, is there one point, was there one point in time where they, uh, where things were ratcheted up? Uh, is there, a, a, you know, a, a turning point where they went from getting along with each other to getting a little bit more on each other's nerves? I can't say that it's one incident in particular, but you know when you write a book like this as an outsider, I'm certainly not a Vermonter. Uh, the the one benefit you do have is by not staying there every day is you you get to see things you know at intervals. So I would go up every few months and over the course of a few years, and I would say, gee, the last time I was here and there was an anti-war, anti-Bush march, there were no four-letter words in the signs. Yeah. There was no screaming of nasty comments in the middle of a Sunday on Father's Day, uh, you know. So these things you start to see. There was also a report in the paper up there about a female uh, member of the National Guard who got stones thrown at her, um, presumably because she was wearing her uniform. Hmm. Now, these are anecdotal, but it, it does tell you that, you know, as this thing drags on, that Patience is being tested. It is great about, I have spent a a very little amount of time in New England, and there there is truly sort of this kitchen table politicking that goes on. People do talk to one another about these things. And what what you're describing is what I think is great about America, which is a clash of ideas. But at the end of the day, we're we're all in this together. You would hope so. I'm not sure that everyone feels that way, but I, I think for the most part they do. I think one of the things that um, I struggled with was the title of the book. When I say One Town's Terror, I really think that this book, with certain variations and nuances, could be written about any town and city in the country. Yeah. I want it to be known that, you know, I live in New York, and I see that buildings are a little more secure, and sometimes they check your bags before you go in the subway. And I go to Washington a lot, and I see the barriers in front of the federal buildings. But, you know, for the rest of the country, things have changed a lot also. People's families are destroyed forever because um, of a loss of life of a, soul, of a family member who's in the military. Um, you know, it's not just taking your shoes off at the airport. I really think that, you know, the economy is different. The, yeah. You know, a lot has changed in every town. I think it's important. I guess I just decided to use Burlington as sort of the focal point for that view. Do you, do you feel like we're in that... Uh kind of the frog in the in the water that's being heated up do you feel like this is so incremental and so so kind of inconspicuous that one day we'll wake up and our country will be completely different or well, do you feel like where there's some pushback do you think that there is some some resiliency in us there's resiliency i i think we're different already yeah i, I think that uh, a lot of things change let's say that you know Best-case scenario, two months, Iraq is stabilized, all the troops come home, no more American deaths. 
I hear people on television saying, you know, if, if Iraq turns better, then the president's approval is going to go up and things are going to change. I, I don't think people forget. I, I don't think people forget um, how the war has been managed. Some might say mismanaged. I don't think people forget about 3,400 Americans who've died so far and the thousands and thousands coming home wounded. I, I, I'm not sure that this is reversible in a lot of ways. The, the good news is that this country has been through a lot, perhaps a lot worse, and has always succeeded. But this is a tough one. This is a bad, to me, this is a bad time for the United States. And uh, people are hungry for leadership and a change. And, you know, I'm not sure that the 08 elections is going to do it. When you mentioned, you said the economy, what did you mean by the economy? I, I mean, there are stories. Um, I didn't, I deliberately chose not to go down that road, at least in the first printing of the book, but there are certainly have been reports in the media of how um, the war in Iraq is negatively impacting cities and towns around the country. So, for example, if someone's in the Guard or in the regular military, who's uh, someone, if someone's in the Guard, let's say that their day job is an architect for the city of Philadelphia, and they go off to war, um, the cities are, are very often supplementing their guard pay with their regular pay, just as a gesture to them. Mm-hmm. That costs money. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you're not getting a service for it, and you have to hire somebody to do the work while that man or woman is in, in combat. So these things really add up, especially in the smaller communities like Burlington. We're speaking with uh, Robert Hifker, and the book is One Town's Terror, 9-11, Iraq and Burlington, Vermont. I want to go back to Bernie Sanders because he's always been kind of a hero of mine. Here's a the socialist mayor of uh, Burlington at one time. I think he's registered as an independent right now, and he's the senator from a state. And we're talking about a, a state that has a, a wide range of political beliefs, and yet at his core, Bernie Sanders is a socialist. You had some time to talk to him, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. He was very gracious, had me in his office in Capitol Hill for uh, you know, good long time. Um, I, I went there with the usual. I had taken the time to do some research. He he had written a book, Outsider in the House, which I recommend to people. Uh, it's autobiography for, by Bernie Sanders, and I gone there expecting to see the tie dye T shirt. Um, you know, maybe the peace sign. I didn't know what to expect, and what I found was a man who really knows his stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't say I agree with him on a lot of things, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, but he's a serious legislator. I mean, there's never been any scandal around him. There's never any um, ethical issues. He comes to work every day, and I have to tell you, they love him in Vermont. I, title, I entitled his chapter Mr. Burlington because I didn't hear one, not only did I not hear one bad thing about him, but when you talk politics in Burlington, that's all people want to talk about. I didn't hear... The two senators mentioned more than a couple times. That's why I didn't put them in the book. Bernie Sanders is the man, and part of the reason is because he has. They have such access to him. The voters do now. Some mm-hmm. of that. Some of that is because they demand it. I mean, you, you know, Vermonters are not used to and wouldn't tolerate uh, a congressman or a senator saying, "I don't really don't have time to talk to you." You know, they see you. They want to talk to you. That's what they expect. Yeah. Um, but he, you. You quite correctly alluded to his appeal. I mean, he, when he was mayor, he had conservative support, he had environmentalist support, he had them all. And it's funny because when he 
he started at university. He was from Brooklyn. Started at University of Chicago, where one of his deans told him that perhaps uh, education and academics might not be uh, in his future, to say the least. Right, and then he ended up in Burlington and ran for just about every office in the state and got crushed every time until one of his very smart friends looked at the returns and said, you know, you lost the statewide election, but in this one district, in this one town of Burlington, you didn't do too badly. So that's, they built upon that, and before you knew it, he was elected and then reelected and then Congress, and now he's a senator. And the, the thing that I found most interesting about him was um, the first thing I asked him was, are you a socialist? I mean, and I thought he was, that was going to be the end of the interview, but not at all. He's like, listen, yes, I believe in this, and I believe in the Democrat this, and, you know, right away into the anti-Republican things, but just very calm, very intelligent. I, I had said to him that um, one of his colleagues, Senator Dianne Feinstein from California, had said, had posed the question, well, okay, Congressman, you're against the Patriot Act. Can you name one in- instance in which... Um, the rights of Americans have been infringed upon by the Patriot Act. His answer was, that's the wrong question, Senator Feinstein. The question is, why should we be on the defensive with our rights? This, this is not right and in his mind, and we should be fighting against it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that kind of clear, passionate yet dispassionate discussion is what's needed. Yeah. I want to ask you, I want to go, step back a bit, because... There is a pervasive feeling around the country that while we're at war, the country really is not at war, that there is a uh, this disconnect between the hundreds of thousands of American soldiers who have served in Iraq and how little we seem it seems to have impacted the l- daily lives of Americans. I think that's a big problem. I mean, I, I think a, a, a real problem in this country is that there are hundreds of thousands, millions of people who have no contact with the military at all. They're not in it. They don't know anyone who's in it. They're not involved in it. All they know is what they see on TV. Mm-hmm. That's a real problem. I mean, when I, I wish I could have taken people, especially those sort of acid tongue critics of the military, I wish I could have taken them around Vermont with me to meet these people in the military. You can't come away. You can't help but be impressed by these people. Almost all are well-educated. Many of them went through the ROTC program at University of Vermont. Almost all are mild-mannered, humble, well-spoken, polite. I I couldn't be more impressed with these guys. And to think that, you know, in a month or two that they were headed off to do some horrible things and to fight for their lives is mind-boggling. But I think you're right. It's, It's too... It's very segmented. A lot of people have nothing to do with the military. Nobody's really asked to be asked to do much of anything, and it's just—I I don't know. I, I think that reduces the—you the, uh, know—we say that we're all in this together, but are we? What are we all doing together? Right. Well, and and the diff- let's just contrast that with the war in Vietnam, and the big difference was that there was a draft, and that people across all economics. Uh, uh, status were in fact eligible to be um, drafted. It didn't always work that way, but it certainly they were they were they were within that the realm of being drafted. So everyone had an interest in in it. Today we have an all volunteer army, and also something that isn't talked about much is we have now over a hundred thousand paid contractors 
military contractors in Iraq, or as some people refer to them, the coalition of the billing, that are in Iraq that are essentially also sort of disconnected from American mainstream life. To be honest with you, I don't uh, lose that much sleep. Well, let me let me say it a different way. The soldiers are in harm's way. Yeah. They signed up. They know what they what they signed for. And you know, when you talk to other soldiers, they say, "Listen, we knew what we were getting into." Mm-hmm. Um, on the other end is the contractors who choose to go there. I mean, they really choose to go there. Mm-hmm. It's not like you. When you sign up for the military, there's a good chance you'll go. But these people working for the uh, Halliburton and the other country, they know Blackwater, Iraq. Yeah. The ones in the middle is, is a more problematic. And, and by the ones in the middle, I mean the National Guard. Right. So here you have people. There's a chapter in the book entitled um, Honeymoon in Burlington. Here you have people who um, maybe didn't know or expect to uh, go over into combat. I, I have a chapter about a woman young woman, she was Miss, you know, Teen Vermont or something quaint like that, um, was in love with her high school sweetheart who was the track star. The whole town is, you know, a couple hundred people. Um, he tells her one day that he's joining the National Guard, which is big up there. There's a there's a real sense of patriotism. There's a real family uh, connection. You know, my grandfather, my uncle, et cetera, were in the Guard. Next thing you know, he's headed to basic training. They They do a quick wedding. Next thing you know, again, he's headed to Iraq. She has to drop out of college, is living in the basement of her in-laws, working at some, you know, photomat part-time job or something. And she's bitter. She says, you know, they're supposed to... Now, she's a young woman. She doesn't have a lot of experience in world affairs, but she says, you know, National Guard, guard the nation. We're supposed to be mm-hmm. homeland security. This is not what they signed up for. You don't hear that so much from the guardsmen themselves. Most of them say, listen... We know what we signed. We knew that this was possible. But it's really those guys that are really, that Congressman Senator Sanders is very concerned about because he has such a huge guard population up there. And he'll tell you that, and he told me this way before the uh, Walter Reed situation, he said that we're nowhere near ready for all these thousands of injured men and women who are coming back. And it looks like he's right. We're speaking with Robert Ifker, and the book is One Town's Terror. I just want to say one more thing about this in this in this particular issue, and that is what what's not being widely reported, at least I haven't seen much on it, is the divorce rate in the military is just skyrocketing because these guys are going on their second, third, and fourth tours of duty, and the and they lit and the, the wives and husbands of these people that are there literally cannot take it. And they are the the uh, if you read any about anything about this, the divorce rate has just gone through the roof mm-hmm. in the military. Well, I'll so it's you, having a tremendous impact. Yeah, I mean that's there there are, there are re- anecdotal reports of higher suicide rates yeah. as well. But I mean, some things you can help and some things you cannot. I mean, the some of the wives I spoke to of National Guardsmen said that they feel alone. There's no support system. Right. But those were the younger wives, actually. I will say that the the, the wives whose uh, husbands have been in the guard for a while they seem to have adapted to this they they understand what's expected of them and their husband and they really weren't as uh bitter i guess you would say as uh some of the younger ones who, who for whom all this was new but the other issue is you know you hear things or something uh, today about how the military is going to try to crack down on these uh, payday loans and you know loans that you get by giving people the title of your car mm-hmm. the military people really rely on these and you know the, the the fact that the military is going to crack down on them 
to me, is kind of backwards. I mean, the issue should be, are, are we paying these people enough, period? Mm-hmm. Maybe they wouldn't need such extreme loan measures if they were being uh, paid more. Every once in a while, just to completely change the subject, the, the state of Vermont talks about seceding, or at least some of the people there do. Um, do you, is there any possibility of that ever happening? You know, you've been there, you've, you've looked at it, and uh, do they seem, is it just that they have a lot of state pride and, the, and they, uh, they just like to let off some steam, or is there some seriousness to their talk about seceding from, from the United States? I, I think there's no serious to it, but seriousness to it in the sense that it would ever happen or could ever happen constitutionally. Uh-huh. But that does not mean that they're just going to go along with whatever comes out of Washington. i, I got to tell you, um, you, can look, you can go down the list of issues, and they vote to go their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they want Burlington to be an asylum city, for example, mm-hmm. so that immigrants who come there uh-huh. don't have to be afraid of ever being arrested, deported, you know, Immigration and Customs Agency, ICE, nothing. They, an asylum city for them means don't come into Burlington. These people are here, and that's it. Yeah. And, you know, interesting, you see a lot of African immigrants up there. Oh. Um, so they really do march to their own beat. And uh, Isn't it health care, uh, gay marriage? There's a yeah. whole slew of, of, uh, of issues that they run counter to a lot of the rest of America. And, and so to me, that makes it all the more interesting that they're so involved in the military yeah. yes. and that the ROTC, which trains uh, young college students to, be, to join the uh, military, start, was started at the University of Vermont. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Well, we, we certainly, it is certainly a moving portrait um, of Burlington. Um, I'm going to once again, the, the book is Robert Ifker's book, One Town's Terror, 9-11, Iraq, in Burlington, Vermont. I want to thank you for being here on Weekly Signals, Robert Ifker. Thank you. And if folks want to yes. uh, take yes. a look at the book or if they want to contact me after they read it, they can go to onetownsterror.com or just uh, go to amazon.com and type in Burlington, Vermont. Onetownsterror.com. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you both. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.